Well, we're continuing in the book of Luke. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. Awesome. And we're going to have some fun this morning. Um, so we are in the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, so we always say bring your Bibles with you. Um, you can turn to the book of Luke uh, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, third book of the New Testament. And, uh, and we're learning from this guy, Luke, who wrote eyewitness accounts, testimonies. I mean, he, he was a doctor. He was very detailed in what he went back. And so we are reading some very detailed uh, story and history about this guy named Jesus, right? And we don't want to just like know about him. We want to experience the real Jesus in this series, okay? And so that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to be walking through through the rest of the year as we get into um, Christmas and all that kind of stuff at the end of the year. Uh, we'll be going back to chapters one and two when we get to the end. So we'll be having some fun with that. Um, if you haven't been with us, maybe it's your first time with us, this is what we do here at New Hope. We go through books of the Bible, and we want you to understand a book of the Bible and understand how to read and study on your own. And so we give you tools to do that. We have what we call our series guide, which has um, a, a a system of devotions, like we want you to be in God's Word every day, and that helps you do that. This method we call SOAP. It's to cleanse your soul, right? This is a little play on words. It's actually, it's Scripture, observation, application, and prayer, and it's just these steps that you can go through each day in God's Word and spending time with God and talking to Him and praying, and, and, um, and it's, it's been cool to see our church step up in that. It's been awesome to hear people saying, I didn't do this before, Tim. I'm doing it now, and I'm growing. It's so cool. And then we also have a reading plan, which helps you join us in the series and you're reading two chapters every week, and so it really only takes you like five, ten minutes to read the sections uh, to go through the two chapters every week. And then what we do at the end of that is we preach on those chapters. So you get to hear now what you've been reading all week in chapters four and five, and some of you are thinking, how is Tim going to preach on chapters four and five? This is a challenge for us preachers, all right? This is like crazy to, to figure out how to do this, because there's so much good stuff. There's so many things I could teach on, and um, I appreciate your prayers every week. As you're doing your thing, say, oh God, help Pastor Tim or help, help Sam or help Nikki, whoever's preaching that weekend. Give them the word so that they know what we all need to hear um, because we need that. Um, we need that so that we are walking in line with God, what he wants us to hear. And that's our prayer every single week. It's like, okay, God, whatever you want to say. And then the other thing we're doing is, is we also want you to memorize God's Word. We want you to, to um, hide it in your hearts, your minds, your thoughts, so that when the Holy Spirit wants to bring it back up, it's already in there. It's already in you. We're going to see the importance of that in just a couple minutes in uh, Luke chapter 4, because uh, Jesus did this. So Jesus knew it, and then he repeated it, right? He knew God's Word, and he, he, so he could say it and use it as an attack against Satan in his life. And so we want to do the same. So this is the memory verse as we kick off this series— Let's all read it out loud together, so let's, let's join together. Everybody ready? Yes. Here we go. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So we don't want to just be hearers and be like, well, that was neat, and then leave and do nothing with it. At the end of your life, you're not going to be um, judged by what you knew is by what you do, right? And so when we live our lives, we want to put the things we learn into practice, and uh, Jesus says it. You know, he's the, so if you don't take my word for it, Jesus, you probably take his word for it. That's, you're going to be blessed if you do that. If you live in your life, you hear it, and then you do something with it and jump into it. So, so that's what we're doing in this series in the book of Luke. Now I want to play a game. Everybody, anybody like games? Love games. All right. Uh, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to play a game, and the game is called What Is It? And, uh, and the game uh, you're going to see on the screens in just a minute, zoomed in pictures. And you're going to have to figure out what this thing is, whatever you're looking at. And, uh, and so I want you to think right away, like, first picture. Let's show the first picture. 
What is it? That's hard to see. Okay. So just in your own, don't shout it out loud because you're going to give it away if, if you do know what it is. Okay. So what is it? It's kind of hard to say. You kind of see it. All right. Next picture. What is it? Did that change the first picture for you at all? Probably a little bit. You're like, wait a minute. I thought it was, but it's, huh? What is this? Okay. The next picture. See if this helps. Okay. What is it? What is it that we're looking at? It's hard. Now, it's hard, isn't it? When you're just looking in on a zoomed-in part of something, it's hard to like say, oh, yeah, I know exactly what that is. Because probably right in the first picture, like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. And then you saw a second picture, like, wait a minute. And now, okay, let's go to the next picture. Let's see if this helps at all. Okay. Oh, 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 I heard a ah, ah, ah. Okay, if you didn't know what it is before, some of you now, you're like, oh, now I know what it is. Some of you have never seen one of these before. Let's go to the full picture. All right, here's the full picture. That is called a red panda, the cutest animal on the planet, right? Like, it looks like a stuffed animal, but they're real. Like, I, I would almost pay extra at the zoo to go feed one, you know? Like, they're just so daggum cute. Now, did you know it was a red panda at the first picture? No, right? Even the second picture? No. The third picture? Like, when you saw the face, maybe. That's when you're like, oh, wait, um, maybe I think, is it? Is it a raccoon? No, they're not red, right? You like, so you play it out until you see the whole picture. Now you're like, well, of course I know what it is. So if we went back to the first picture, now that you've seen the full picture, you understand what the first picture is? Yes, it's his paws, actually. It's kind of dark, but that's his paw. See, we do these things in our life. We, we do these things where we make assumptions, where we see part of something and we think, oh yeah, I know what, the, I know what that is. I know what the deal is, right? And, and our assumptions sometimes aren't right because we're not seeing the full picture. That's what was going on when we're looking at the book of Luke at the very beginning of this story when Jesus shows up on the scene to do his ministry. Because you have the Jews. The Jews were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for somebody to come save them from Roman rule. They, they're oppressed. And they're like, we don't like this. I, we have prophecies. We know God's sending us a Messiah. But they didn't know exactly what this Messiah was going to look like. They all had their own little pictures. Well, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be a king. He's going to come. He's going to show up. and He's going to rule over. He's going to take over. And we're going to rule everybody. And so that's what some of them thought. He's just going to be a king. And that is the picture. Some of them thought he's going to be a warrior. He's going to come and he's going to start battles against all the Roman nations and all the people who are against the Jews. And they thought he's going to be our warrior and he's going to go ahead of us. Some thought, no, he's probably going to come like a prophet of the Old Testament. He's going to come. He's just going to preach the word of God. That's all he's going to do. And he's just going to preach. And that's, that's going to be his thing. And some say, well, he's going to be more like a priest. And he's just going to represent us. And he's going to serve in the temple. And he's just going to be the ultimate priest. They all have these different ideas because they all had these little glimpses of what they thought the Messiah was going to be. But they didn't understand. They didn't fully understand who it was going to be and what he was going to do when he showed up on the planet. They all had their own presumptions, right? They had their own, have you heard the the word presupposition? Something that is assumed in advance or taken for granted. They, They assumed in advance who they thought the Messiah was going to be, and they were taken for granted all of the prophecies that they were given, and they didn't get the full picture. And so now here is Jesus, the actual Messiah. John the Baptist last week prepared the way for him. Jesus got baptized. Heavens opened up. Dove, like Holy Spirit came down like a dove, rested on him. Heavenly Father said, this is my son who I am well pleased. Boom. Right there. It all begins. But they didn't fully understand who this Jesus was. And, I, and I'll be honest with this in this room. 
I would say most of us in this room don't know and understand the fullness of Jesus. That we all come with our preconceived ideas. And that's my first point. Point number one, if you want to fill in the blank, is we all have preconceived ideas of who Jesus is. Aren't you glad I didn't make you write preconceived? We all have (laughs) the whole I before E thing. Anybody else struggle with the I before E, before C, before Y, and sometimes Z? I don't know, like, how the rules, they don't apply most of the time, but they're rules. English teacher. Anyways, so we all have preconceived ideas of who Jesus is. Like, we all come from different backgrounds, right? Some of us grew up in church, and we had an idea of who Jesus was because of the church we went to. And, and so, like, as you grew up, you were told, this is who Jesus is. And maybe some of it's true. Maybe some of it isn't. Maybe some of it's based on tradition, because that's what the church had done for generation after generation, and that's just what they believed because they were told, and, and that's just how it went. But some of it wasn't true, maybe. Some of you maybe don't know this Jesus at all. You didn't grow up in church. You didn't read the Bible. You're just kind of like, I, I saw like a documentary once, I think, you know, about Jesus. And most of the time, just, you know, TV documentaries about Jesus are always wrong. Like, they just are. Like, they actually don't use the Bible when they tell you who this Jesus is in history. Um, and so they're not studying the biggest history book about the guy, right? And, um, and so maybe you have these preconceived ideas. Like, we all come with these preconceived ideas whether it's from church or whether it's from family, growing up, had an idea, or personal opinions, or we all have these different ideas. And I want us in this series, as we look in the Gospel of Luke, that, that we might be open to say, maybe some of my ideas are wrong. Maybe I don't know fully know this Jesus. Um, and let's be willing to let God's Word teach us so that we can experience this real Jesus. They were there in person with Jesus as he started his ministry, and they didn't get it. So I'm not blaming us for not fully getting it. I think it's part of our human nature to not fully understand the, the bigness of God and the bigness of Christ. Like, I don't think we're going to know it until we see him face to face. But we have been given so much in the scriptures that we can see who he really was, and we can start to understand how he relates with us, how we relate with God, and, and how we, we do this. Because the thing about Jesus— you know, they didn't fully know Jesus, but do you know who Jesus? Jesus knew Jesus, <laughs> right? Point number two. All right, this is a deep one. Jesus knows who he is. <laughs> he was not confused about who he was, right? When, when Jesus came, he knew who he was, and he knew what was going to happen. He still came in, though, in human form, so he did come in limitations. He gave up all his deity in heaven, like his, all the things he could have done, ruling and reigning in heaven, he gave that up to be in this bodily form with us. And so he put on the limitations of humanity so he could live like us in humanity and live a perfect life and, and die. Physical death. But the thing is, when Jesus walked, Jesus knew who he was, and here's the good news, and we can too. And when I say we can too, there's two parts of that. We can know who Jesus was, and we can know who we are, too. We, can't, we don't have to be confused about that. Um, we are talking today about identity, as we're talking about chapters 4 and 5. Jesus' identity and our identity, okay? And so when we hop into this, we see Jesus in Luke chapter 3, and there's two words, um, and I don't think I put them on the screen. The, the two words are affirmed and initiated, are the two key words that we see with Jesus in chapter 3 and chapter 4. In chapter 3, we see Jesus affirmed by his heavenly Father. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. 
He's absolutely affirmed by him. And we're going to see he gets affirmed in other ways too as we read on in chapter 4 and 5. There's an affirmation of his identity. You are the Son of God. You are the one. You're the Holy One. You're the one that has come. You are the Messiah. So he gets affirmed and he gets initiated. The initiated part, we don't think about this with Jesus, right? It's kind of like Jesus, didn't he already know what he was going to be doing? But right after he's affirmed, he goes led by the Holy Spirit into the desert for a season of prayer and fasting. This is the moment of initiation for him before he starts his full ministry and before he goes out and does all that his heavenly father leads him to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus is our Savior, yes, but he's also our model. We see how he lived in the Holy Spirit in relationship with his Heavenly Father, and that's the model for us, that we have access to that now because of him. And so we see him as our model, and that we can too be affirmed and initiated in our spiritual journey, in our relationship with God, and know who we are. See, with, when we get into Luke chapter 4, we see the very first thing that the enemy attacks is the affirmation, Right? very first thing. Okay, so let's read it together. I've got a lot to read today, so I'm going to do my best to use our time well as we get through this. Um, I'm just going to be reading parts of chapter 4, parts of chapter 5 as we get through it. So, so he's baptized, he's affirmed, this is my son whom well pleased. The very first thing is this. Jesus then, I should say, is everybody ready? ready. Yep, okay, here we go. Ch- chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. It's like a no-duh, right? Like, like 40 days of prayer and fasting. I'm hungry. I mean, he was hungry. There, there's a point, I, I'm assuming nobody's fasted here for 40 days, like no food, right? Like, because I don't know if we could survive that. Like, Jesus had the supernatural power and this physical, I don't know how he did it, but he did it. But there's this point when you start fasting where all of a sudden you stop being hungry. And, and I've experienced that. We do 21 days of prayer and fasting here at New Hope at the beginning of every year that all of a sudden it's like, you know what? I don't, I'm not hungry for that anymore. Like your hunger just goes away. But then your body gets to a point where it's saying, no, we need something. And it moves from like not being hungry to, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I'm so hungry. And that's literally where your body's telling you you're at. You're so hungry. You're about to die. You got to get some nourishment. I imagine Jesus is right here at that at that line. So he is hungry, right? Way beyond a Snickers bar, okay? So the devil said to him, listen to the very first thing that Satan says, if you are the son of God, what did Satan attack? His identity. He just heard it when he was baptized. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. The very first thing Satan says, if you're the son of God, He's like, you should probably doubt that. I'm doubting it. I, I'm going to put doubt in your mind. It's the same thing he did in the garden at the very beginning, the very first temptation with Eve. Right? Is an attack on identity. And, and so he says, if you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Pretty tempting, I would think, from Jesus being at that point of hunger. Jesus answered, and he quotes Scripture, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. So the devil said, well, he's not doing that. The devil led him up to a high place and and showed him in in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. This one's confusing for some people, but this is what happened. When Satan got cast down from heaven, he was given authority on this earth. He, He has authority, which sucks for us, right? And now he's saying, listen, I can give you all the authority. 
He's like, I'll give all the nations to you. And what he's tempting him is, is, is with, with not having to go to the cross, not having to die, not having to go through all the pain and suffering and the separation from his heavenly father. He's saying, you don't have to do it. I'll give it to you now. You don't have to do all that. That's the level of temptation that he's trying to pull him in with. I, I know where you're going, but I can give it to you now. You don't have to do all that hard work. If you worship me, it'll all be yours, Satan says. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Do you see how important it is to know scripture? Like if Jesus needed it, when attack came, I'm pretty sure we all need it. We need to hide it in our hearts and memorize scripture. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, again, it repeats it. If, 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 attacking the affirmation. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. And now Satan's quoting Scripture. You're like, Satan knows Scripture? Yeah, he knows Scripture. And he knows how to twist the heck out of it. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Meaning it wasn't done. He wasn't done yet. An opportune time. I'm saying, there's, Satan has the same schemes. He hasn't changed his schemes. Like when you know Satan's playbook, it's easier to fight, right? And so when, when you know he's coming and he starts wrestling, maybe you're a Christ follower and he starts saying, are you really a Christian? I mean, are you really good enough for God to save? Like, are you? He makes you start to doubt your identity. If you really are a child of God, you wouldn't do that sinful thing over there. So you're probably not. If you really are a child of God, you wouldn't think these things. You wouldn't. And he just, he starts attacking. And the thing with Satan is he waits for what? An opportune time. He waits till you're alone. And some of us have been alone way too long. And I'm going to say to you guys online, some of you have been alone online way too long. And you need to be around some real people. And I'm saying that out of love okay? I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty, but when you get into habits of being by yourself, you're allowing yourself to be an opportune time for Satan to come and attack. When we're by ourselves, that's what he wants to do. He wants to separate us out and attack. I'm telling you, that's why community is important. Small groups are important. Be in relationship, having your BGPs, the big godly people in your life. That's why those things are important, because it heads off what Satan's trying to do in your life to bring you down. He says, if you are the Son of God, Jesus the thing is, knew who he was. And Jesus had nothing to prove to Satan. Wouldn't it be good to live life that way? Live a life that you had nothing to prove to others, to Satan, to, to people who are saying, prove it. Like, if you knew exactly who you were. Some of you are there, some of you aren't. Some of us, you know, some of us wrestle that our whole life. I'm telling you, Jesus knew who he was, and I believe we can too. We can know who we are. So we see this affirmation continuing to be attacked. Now Jesus, we're going to keep reading a little bit farther down in verse 18, but Jesus then, from there, he goes to his hometown of Nazareth. Um, and, and Nazareth, you know, small place. Everybody kind of knew who he was. Like, oh, isn't that Jesus? That's Joseph's son, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's Mary and Joseph. Oh, yeah, he built me that end table, you know, for our, our spare bedroom. Like, that's, oh, yeah, that's who he was. I don't know if you've ever gone, has anybody ever gone to, like, a high school reunion before? Like, 
Isn't that the worst, right? Like, because you're going back and all of a sudden, all the emotions, all the feelings, all the fears that you had when you were in school, they just come right back for some daggum reason. And you're like, oh, there's so-and-so. And oh, yeah, oh, they were like the, the popular person, whatever. And you see that they look horrible. And that makes you feel a little bit better, right? Like, and you're like, oh, well, at least I'm not like, they're, you know, they're a little, you know, so like, like you start judging yourself with other people and that makes you feel good. But then you see the person that like, you kind of dated, you know, in high school, and you're like, oh, man, they actually look really good. And then you're looking like a, and you're like, and then you start thinking, oh, never mind, it's no big deal, right? Like, so you get all these insecurities kind of bubbling up. Like, I imagine Jesus going back to his hometown. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He's been affirmed by his heavenly Father. He's been baptized, tested by the Holy Spirit. Now he's back in his hometown, and he's like, I wonder what they're going to think about me. The thing is, Jesus knew who he was. He knew who he was, and he went there on, a, on purpose, and he gets into the temple, and they've seen him as a teacher, and so in the temple, somebody who's a teacher or a rabbi, they would invite them to, to in the service, read part of the Torah, and so here he is. He's reading to them, and he pulls out Isaiah, and Isaiah, he reads a prophecy, and this is the prophecy that he reads to his hometown. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, now, mind you, this, he's quoting Isaiah, which was written 700 years before this. And they know this is a messianic prophecy. They, they know that this is like a part of the promise. God's saying, a Messiah is going to come. And now he's saying to them, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he puts a period. See, in Isaiah, there's not a period there, there's a comma. And the comma says, and to bring wrath, and it gets pretty bad. And what Jesus is doing in this moment, he's saying, I'm here to fulfill this part right now, period. The wrath part is going to come later upon his return. So he's prophesying to, to the people that know him, and he's proclaiming, it's me. He says, he says this prophecy is fulfilled in your presence. And now they're all like, oh my gosh, is, is, is he talking about this? And then he goes and offends them. If you read it this week, you're probably like, whoa, what just happened? Things got bad real quick. Because then he, he starts talking about Elisha and Elijah, and they would know those were like the big prophets in the Old Testament. I'm like, oh yeah, Elisha and Elijah, okay, right, right. And then he says, oh yeah, they didn't help you guys. Whenever there was a famine, they didn't come to the Jews. They went out of the city and they went to help the widows that were somewhere else that were Gentiles. Oh, yeah, and, and Elisha, you know, he did this, and he went and helped the Syrian. And he's like, and that's what's going to happen now, too. What? He just ticked every single person off in that room. And, and if, you, if you don't understand why it went from, like, zero to 100 on anger, um, uh, for the Jews in this time, and especially in the temple, and, the, and they're worshiping, they were the key holders of God. No one could get to God except them and anybody who wanted to. They had to go through all their steps to be able to get to this God, and they were the holders. And what Jesus just said to them is, you're not the holders of God. And actually, God has seen your hearts, and he's seen the hypocrisy. He's seen that you actually don't love him. You love these rules and laws. And he said, the Son of Man came to serve the poor, the lost, the Gentiles, the sinners. And it was a how dare you. And they took him out and they tried to throw him off a cliff. <laughs> Literally. 
And G- I love it the way it says, and Jesus just walked on through him. <laughs> you know, he's like, why did Jesus walk on through him? Because Jesus knew who he was. And he knew what he was doing. His identity had been affirmed no matter what anybody else had said. His hometown, no matter what they thought and said. Jesus knew who he was. Then Jesus goes out and he starts healing and he starts teaching and he goes from town to town and the word starts getting out. This Jesus, he's healing people and he's teaching with an authority. Like, I love what it says um, later on and I'm gonna be skipping through some verses here, but in Luke uh, 4.32 it says, they were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because his words had authority. Because he wasn't just teaching from the Torah like, this is what Isaiah says. You know, like he was teaching about the kingdom of heaven and it coming. And they're like, he's preaching with a different level of authority than we've heard any other rabbi, any other preacher or teacher. Like he is, because he's speaking from the authority of his heavenly father and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was, I couldn't imagine. And then you get healed. You gotta be kidding me, right? The crowds are starting to show up. They're starting to show up. But again, we, we read at the end of that, he actually goes to Simon's house, heals Simon's mother-in-law. We don't know if Simon was cool with that or not, okay? That's just a joke. That was a bad joke. All right. Simon's mother had a fever, and then Jesus comes. Some of you are laughing more than you should. So, so Simon's mother-in-law had a fever, and then that time, like, we see that, like, Luke, being a doctor, doesn't just say she had a fever. Like, he was specific. She had a high fever, which meant, like, this was going to be, like, probably death when, whenever they were saying this. And Jesus comes, and he just, he heals her. She gets up and says, you all want some lunch? Like, that's what happened. She just gets up and starts serving him. And it's like, what just, I mean, Simon, I couldn't imagine being there. Like, what just happened? And she's like, oh, this is, you know, this is what I do. And, and so, like, th- he's just healing people and doing this. And people were in awe and wonder and amazement of what he was doing. And then crowds start showing up to Simon's door, and they're bringing their, their family and friends. Would you heal? Would you heal? Would you heal? To a solitary place. I'm telling you, if Jesus is our Savior, but he's also our model. If the Son of God needed to get away to a solitary place to be with his Heavenly Father, I'm pretty sure we do too. And when he came back to town, there were lines of people saying, where were you? We want you to heal our people. And Jesus said, sorry, I can't. I got to go to another town. Now, if you were the one that was like just at the line that you just missed out, would you be mad? Probably at that point, they're not thinking about all the other people that got healed. They're thinking about themselves. See, the human nature is a tricky thing. And that's with with Jesus. Like, he would heal people, they'd be happy. If he didn't, he didn't heal everybody. We see that in Scripture. And we wrestle with those things. Like, what if God heals and what if he doesn't? Like, I don't, I can't answer those questions. Those are God questions that are bigger than what we can understand. But I know that Jesus got away and then he needed to go do what he was called to do because he spent his time with his heavenly father. His heavenly father, now it's time to go to the next town. He's like, that's what I'm going to do because Jesus knew who he was. He wasn't pushed by peer pressure. Okay, is everybody with me? So he's continuing to be affirmed. And where it gets tricky um, in, in uh, chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, we see he's casting out a demon. And this demon, as he's being cast out, says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, a demon is affirming. Now, you'd think, they probably know what's going on in the spiritual realm. So, like, Jesus is probably like, yeah, I am. You know, you'd be like, you got it right. Everybody hear him? 
Son of God, whoop, 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 like, like, right? But that's not what Jesus is doing with any of this. He's healing people and saying, don't go tell anybody. And now, now the demons themselves are saying, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And then Jesus says, be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them and, uh, and came out without injuring him. Now, why didn't Jesus want him to be these demons? Because it happened multiple times to say, I know who you are. You're the Son of God. He says, be quiet. I think there's two reasons. One, I, I don't believe that Jesus wanted the testimony of the demons. Demons and Satan themselves rule, and their native uh, language is lie. That's their native tongue is a lie. And he's like, I don't want them to be preaching and saying, you are the Son of God, when they're the ones that are continually lying to, to hurt people and leading them away from God. He's like, I don't want their testimony. Shut up. You have no word here. And so he shows his authority over. <laughs> he says, get out and out of here, right? And that's, the demons had to. They had no choice. But he shut them up. I think part of it, too, is he wasn't trying to be the public, look at me, come to the show, I'm going to come heal you. Like, he kept saying, don't tell other people. I want this between you, me, and your heavenly Father, Right? He wasn't trying to get crowds and crowds and crowds. He wasn't trying to be famous. But by what he was doing, people were coming to him. And then we see later, uh, I kind of went out of sequence here, but this is where it says, at daybreak later on, after he heals Simon, Simon's mother-in-law, Jesus went out into a solitary place. He's ministering, spending time with his heavenly father. He's ministering, spending time with his heavenly father. And that's where he goes back and forth and back and forth. Here's what I know. Jesus was absolutely affirmed on his identity, and then he was initiated and proved it over and over and over again, right? We go through the same thing in life. We're all looking for those two things, actually. From when we're very young, we're looking for affirmation, and we're looking for initiation. We, we want to be affirmed, like, you're good. You're good enough, and, and this is who you are, and we want to be initiated. We, we want to prove we have what it takes. That's what initiation is. We want, do I have what it takes? And whatever it is, we all go through that journey in our identity. Some of us are going to go our entire life and struggle with both of those things. I'm praying for us as we experience the real Jesus that we would be fully affirmed that you can be a son or daughter of God. Fully accepted, fully loved, fully pleasing in his sight. Even when you sin, this is the beautiful thing about grace is his forgiveness is right there. Ask for it, I forgive you. You're still my son or daughter. That didn't change. My love for you didn't change. None of that changed. I affirm you. And then initiation, do you have what it takes? That's a part of us finding our purpose in life, being with our Heavenly Father and saying, I know you have what it takes. This is what I want you to do. That's being led by the Holy Spirit, connecting with our Heavenly Father, understanding He put something inside of all of us, the good things He has prepared in advance for all of us to do. But so often, we are trying to do things the wrong way. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. So Jesus knows who he is. And now we get into chapter 5, and now Jesus is going to choose some guys, right? So he's moving now just from the ministry of Jesus. Now he's going to invite some people along the journey beside him. And it's interesting who he picks, right? The religious of the day, there was a very specific pathway to become a rabbi teacher, right? 
you got to be chosen. You choose your rabbi that you want to study under, and then you got to study under them for so many years, and you got to do all these different steps and education and practice, and then maybe one day you get to be a rabbi. You get to be that spiritual leader. And there's a very detailed process in order to get there in the Jewish, um, in the Jewish temple, right? And now Jesus just says, that wasn't what I wanted. I'm going to change it all up. Again, they had a picture of the Messiah and what he was going to do, and now he's doing something that's way out of whack for what they thought was going to happen, okay? So we're walking through. All right, is everybody with me? All right, follow along. So this is the next part of the story. Jesus chooses his first disciples and changes their identity, okay? Because these are grown men. And these grown men, he's saying, you were this, and now you're going to be this. He changes their identity. And he affirms them into something new. And then we get to read the whole story of how they get initiated, right? The initiation of, do I have what it takes? And, uh, and sometimes they did with Jesus. Sometimes they were stupid, knuckleheaded men, right? Some, it's like all over the charts that we're going to read in the book of Luke as they go through that process of initiation. So let's, let's see what Jesus did to, uh, to uh, choose his disciples. Starting now in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So one day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He said at the water's edge, or he saw at the water's edge two boats uh, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. This is what they would do, right? Like fishermen were very detailed on what they did. Every day they do the same thing. They would get ready early in the morning, right? And they would fish when it was dark out, so it was cool. The fish would be in certain areas, and they would go out. They'd get their nets. They would catch as many fish as they could. They would bring it back in. They would bring their haul and their fish to the market, and then they would go back. They would take care of their boats. They would bend other nets. And every day, the same routine over and over and over again. And so here's what we're seeing. This is just a typical picture of what the fishermen are doing. They're out there washing their nets. They've already been out fishing. They've already... Uh, done their job, and now they're doing what they do afterwards. He got into one of the boats, Jesus did, the one belonging to Simon. So is Simon cool with Jesus? Is he like, you healed my mother-in-law? Like, or is he like, you healed my mother-in-law? I'll stop joking. <laughs> <laughs> so Simon is there, right? So, so the, the, the one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Uh, then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. This is kind of creating a natural amphitheater kind of effect, right? So the water would echo, the, his voice would carry, and so he's out there on the water, and he's teaching all these people. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Okay, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. They were already done for the day, right? They were already back. They were already washing and mending their nets. They're like, ah. And you're going to see this tension happen. So Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. So he's like, it's been a long night already, Jesus. And for fishermen, if you don't catch anything, that's a bad day. That's your job. That's your livelihood. There's no fish in the nets. We were out in the deep waters, and now it's daytime. It's even a worse time to go out fishing. This isn't when we go. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus, um, or fell at Jesus' knees and said, 
Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Something just shifted in Simon, right? He's like, I know that you healed people. You were at my house healing people. I saw all that. And now you tell me to go out. I saw you do other things. Okay, we'll go out. We'll catch them. We'll try. I, I, I don't think anything's going to happen. I've been doing this my whole life. What's happening? You know, like, what's going on? And the, both boats start to sink. So there's, two good, there's a good thing happening. Way more fish than they know what to do with. It's, the bad thing is, their boats are their livelihood. If they go down, uh-oh, right? And so now he's realizing, this has to be him. This has to be the Messiah. And he falls down because he knows, I'm not worthy for you to be in my boat. Why are you even in my boat, Jesus? You don't understand the things I've done, the ways I've sinned, the things I've... You don't know me. I'm not worthy to be here in your presence. That is where Simon is in this moment when his eyes are opened to who Jesus is. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up to the shore, left everything, and followed him. This is a quick like, couple of sentences of a life-changing experience, right? <laughs> They've grown up being fishermen. This is what they know how to do. They've done it their whole life. This is their livelihood. They take care of their families with this. And then Jesus does something miraculous, and now they're like, who are you? You've got to be the Messiah. And they go to the shore and they leave everything to follow Jesus. Everything. They gave it all up. And a part of this giving up everything is Jesus saying, I'm picking you, Simon. Simon is an unlikely character. And we learn more about Simon as we read through the Gospels. Like, he's an unlikely character to be a rabbi, a priest, teacher. He, he's He's uh, short-tempered. He's quick-mouthed. I mean, things come out before he thinks. You know, like, there's so many things about him. And, and Jesus is like, yep, you're the one I want. I want the fisherman. I don't want the rabbi. I don't want the teacher. I don't want the dude that, like, grew up in the temple. Like, I want you. And now, this isn't going to be your deal. You're not going to be a fisherman. You're not going to be, you're going to be fishing for men. You're going to be fishing for people. Your identity has now changed, and you're with me. And so he affirms all of them. He says, you're with me now. You're one of mine. You're my disciple. It's interesting um, that seven of the disciples were fishermen. Like, that's a, that's a pretty large number, you know, of, of uh, just rough and ready kind of men uh, following Jesus, following the Messiah, learning from him. And, but when you look at the characteristics of, a, of somebody who is a fisherman for their livelihood, you see some people, I'm like, okay, I think that does make sense. You have to be extremely patient to, to fish every day because you don't know what's going to happen. Is it going to be a good day or a bad day? Is the weather going to be great? Is it going to be bad? Is it going to be hot? Is it going to be cold? You just go out and do it. So you do the work no matter what. You have such a persistent consistency because you have to do it every single day. You're determined. You're steady. You don't give up. These are great characteristics for disciples of Jesus because the things they're going to be going through, following him in his ministry, they're going to need all of those habits in their life because they're going to be experiencing things that they never thought they would ever experience in their life. And they're going to have to say, nope, I'm sticking to it. I'm staying steadfast. I'm continuing on. We're going to do the same thing every day. Whatever he tells us to do, we're going to do it. Jesus knew who he wanted 
So if you think in your own life that, you, that you're not right for God, that like you've messed up some, somehow way too much for him to like see you in any good light, that you're like, he wouldn't want me, he wouldn't, he wouldn't want this, he, he wouldn't want what I have. He, like I, I really don't have anything to bring him. Like I, he, the things I've done in my life, like I need you to understand from the very beginning, Jesus was flipping the script of religion. And yet still today, religion is trying to overpower Jesus and telling you, you have to do this, look this way, dress this way, act this way, fit into our little bubble, and then you can belong. Where Jesus said, I'm sorry, who are you? Oh, I love you. Oh, I don't know about the bubble. I don't know about it. I know who I am. I'm the son of God. Bubble. There's no good enough. There's no, like, get yourself together, would you? So you can be good enough to get to Jesus. It doesn't work that way. He chose fishermen. <laughs> he chose rough and ready guys. Right at the beginning to prove a point. He didn't come for the religious. He came for the lost. And I'm telling you, we all at one point in our life were lost, or some of us in this room might still be lost. <clears throat> and he came that the lost might get found. See, for us in our life, and I'm going to talk to the Christian and those of you who are still investigating this whole thing, both of us in this room, I believe when we walk in life, this is what we do. We often look for the wrong things to affirm our identity and initiate us in our purpose. Right? We so often, those of you who are Christians in the room, even though we know we have been saved through grace, through faith in Christ Jesus, that he has paid the price for our sin, we have received forgiveness, that we've been adopted as sons and daughters in the, into the, the, the kingdom of heaven, even though we know those things, we still think there's things that we need to be affirmed in in our identity, and we start looking for other things to do it, right? My job, my job affirms my identity. It's a part of who I am. And some of us, our job is who we are. I am this, and this is what I do. And that becomes our identity that we feel like is our affirmation, and it's not. The world, we look to all sorts of things in the world. We look to our girlfriend, a boyfriend, a, a, a spouse. We, we want them to affirm us. Like, am I good enough for you? Is this, like, we're looking for affirmation of our identity from, from people who were never meant to give it to us, right? And when they don't, we get hurt. We look to friends or friend groups. We look to hobbies. So often we un, unknowingly just allow social media to be that thing that we're trying to find affirmation from others. It's like, look at what I did. Look at my, look at my you know, showcase reel. Look at all these fun things. I went here and I traveled there and I did this all kind of stuff. Like, look at all this kind of stuff. I'm going to dance to the music here in a second. All right. um, and, and so we look towards those things. Maybe some of us, we're still looking for affirmation from disapproving parents. You're grown. Your parents might not even be alive anymore, but still you would wish they would have affirmed you in any sort of way and you never got it but you're still trying to get affirmed from other people, but it's really because you didn't get affirmed from your parents. You're like, I want that. They've always disapproved me, and they, I was never good enough. And all of that, all of that can go away when you fully place your identity in Jesus Christ and let him be the one that says, you are my son, you are my daughter, in you I am well pleased. When you allow him to speak that into your heart and your life, I'm telling you, I have to do that every day. 
It's not just like a one and done, like every day. God, thank you for letting me be your son. Fully accepted, fully pleasing. I don't have to earn or prove anything to you today. Thank you for loving me. Don't look at the wrong things and don't let the wrong things initiate us in our purpose. Everybody around you has a purpose for you. You know the picture of the red panda? Everybody has a little picture of what they think you should be and what you should do in your life. Everybody does. The closest ones to you do, your boss does, your friends do. Like everybody has that little thing. But you don't need to let them be the ones to say any of those things to you. You can be initiated and say, I know I have what it takes to walk in the life that God has given me, and I want his purpose for my life. I don't want anybody else's purpose. I don't want anybody else telling me what the purpose is. Like, I want to know, God, what is my purpose? And the only way you find that purpose is spending time with the one that holds it. You don't know your Heavenly Father's purpose for you unless you're with him. Jesus did it all the time. God away to a lonely place. If Jesus needed it, we do too. Amen? Amen. So let's stop looking for the wrong things. Let's put our identity in Christ. I love the way Paul said it in Philippians. Um, he says it this way in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 8, and the first part of verse 9. And, and this is the Apostle Paul, right? Like, God used him to do pretty amazing things, you know, write a lot of the New Testament, you know, like start this whole thing called the church, reach out to the Gentiles, the, the, the non-Jews. Like, Paul was with God, but he says, what is more, I consider everything a loss. Everything I had, all the riches, wealth, fame, wealth, everything I've had in my life, everything I consider a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That word is actually a very much stronger word in the original Greek. It's, I think it's scubalon or something like that. It means manure, okay? He said, I consider it all crap. All a loss. It's all worthless. It's all garbage. For what? That I may gain who? Christ and be found in him. We want to be found in Christ. Consider all the other things that are vying for our attention and say, no, I know what those are. I want Christ. And today, for those of you who are Christ followers in the room, would you start that journey if you haven't? And maybe today you need to write down some, some areas of your life where you know you're trying to look for affirmation that you shouldn't. What are those areas? Who are you trying to affirm or get affirmation from? And who you're trying to find your purpose in? If the answer isn't Jesus in both of those, I would, I would encourage you to write Jesus really big and all the other stuff really small and start giving those things to Jesus. Now, if you don't know God at all, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, what I'm telling you this morning is he came for you. He came to this world. He lived a sinless life. They still killed him. The Jewish leaders murdered him, hung him on a cross. The sinless man. And when he died on that cross, he bore the sins of us all. He took all our sin on that cross so that we can be forgiven and his righteousness deposited in our spiritual account. That's what happens when we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God and he did it for you. And you can be saved. You can hear, oh, now you're my son, now you're my daughter. Not because of what you did, but because you're with me. Because of what I did for you. If you want that today, I'm going to pray in a moment and I want you to pray to God. I want you to say, God, I need that and I want that. I'm tired of trying to find it in other, other people and other things, and today I give it to you. Let's take that time and pray together.
So if you want to start a relationship with God, this is how you start it. It doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect from here on out. It doesn't mean now it's like everything's healed and awesome. Like it is the starting point of a relationship with this Heavenly Father that you get to get to know and that He gets to show Himself to you. And so if that's you, you can just pray right now wherever you are and just make this proclamation in your own heart. Believe it in your own heart. You can say this. Say, God, I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for my sin and then to give me his righteousness to make me right before you, God. And so forgive me of my sins. I want to repent. I want to turn from my old self. I want to turn from my sin. I want to turn to you. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter now and forever. So affirm me right now, God. Give me your Holy Spirit that I can be led by you and help me walk for you the rest of my life. And I just ask this in Jesus' name alone. Amen. Amen. And God, in all of us in this room, if there's, if there's things that we need to set down, let down, if, if the areas of affirmation and the areas of initiation that we need to put at your feet, help us today to do that, God. And free us. I thank you for your word today. Continue to use it in our lives this week. And it's in Christ's name.